You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. Well, we're continuing on a teaching entitled Looking Forward. Everybody say looking forward. And uh, 2000 year is a year of 2000 year. What did I say? 2000, 2010 is a year of, of growth. And that's personal growth and spiritual growth and, and us individually and corporately together and uh, in so many ways. And it seems like sometimes uh, certain things you sign up for, it's like, wow, this is more than I bargained for. And just, um, I think, responding to the fact that the Lord is calling this a year of growth, uh, it means so much more than I initially even understood. And it's good stuff, though, good stuff. And God's, God's doing some Wonderful things in each of our hearts as we let him, as we let him. Amen. Well, Meadowbrook Church and welcome to Meadowbrook Church um, is multi-generational. We talked about this last week. Y'all can hear me, right? Multi-generational. We're also, we're also multicultural. And we're kind of multi-everything. There's. So many different backgrounds and statuses and conditions, you know, um, all shapes and sizes and different educational backgrounds and different economic backgrounds and status and, and all kinds of things. And this is the wonderful thing. You ready for this? We're all in this thing together. We're all in this thing together. Why don't you turn to somebody? I don't have you do this much, but just tell them we're in this thing together. Now, one of the things that we looked at last week, and this is not original with me, but I want you to get a hold of this because this is kind of the, the launching base for this series, uh, this quote. And if you'll put it up on the screen there, Carol, our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. Will you read that with me? Our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. And what that does, it causes us to be looking forward and not just looking back, looking out the windshield, not just the rear view mirror that uh, we're out there with the live cam, not watching the video replays. We're we're out there ahead of things. Last week, as I said, I shared with you about us being a multi-generational. That means that we have all ages and we had a powerful time, a wonderful time. I believe God's doing a great, great work in this body and that we've got to realize we're in this thing together. And that we make room for one another. And that we don't get selfish and stuck. But we, we love one another. And we're in this thing together. And there's a mutual honor that goes along with that. And it's only going to energize uh, everyone as we do that. Please, 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 please go back and hear that message again. Or if you did not hear it, it's on the internet and our archives, uh, podcast, um, study guide and echo notes are there for you. Um, CDs. Two bucks. Who sells CDs for two bucks that aren't blank? <laughs> you know, and we do that just because we want to get the message out. But please, it's so important what God is speaking to us in this time that you want to get a hold of that. So that's last week, multi-generational. Today, I want to talk about Meadowbrook Church and the body of Christ being multicultural. Multicultural. We find in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And this is in heaven. And they sang a new song saying, 
you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of, watch this, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. In Revelation 14, verse 6, it says, Then I saw another angel flying. I know some of y'all see angels flying, but this is in heaven. Some of y'all see an angels flying. I just think you're tripping. But, um, (laughs) and I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth. Watch to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And so heaven is multicultural. And I believe that a taste of heaven on earth would be that God's church would be multicultural. And unfortunately, Sunday mornings is one of the most segregated days of the week. Now, I don't speak disparagingly of any church, but I think it pleases the Father. It's my opinion, and I I have a lot that I base it on uh, to even say it this this boldly, but I do believe that a church should be a slice of the city. And so whatever's in the city, if the city were a pie, you can tell it's getting close to lunchtime. If the city were a pie, then whatever is in the city, a slice of that, that God would entrust us with as a church, it should be a slice of the city. So whatever's in the city should be in the church and the church should be a reflection of heaven And heaven is multicultural, and I believe the church should be, and we celebrate that. I said we celebrate that. Come on, we celebrate that. Red and yellow, black and white, we are. You are precious. You are. And it's a wonderful thing that happens. Did you know that within 20 years, within 20 years, there will be more non-white than white? And the new majority will not be African-American. New majorities will be Asian and Hispanic. And I guess the bottom line for that is just be nice to everybody. (laughs) Which is kind of the point all along. Whenever we talk about multicultural It means multiple ethnic cultures, multiple ethnic cultures. And whenever you talk about multicultural things, it raises questions, thoughts and issues regarding prejudice and racial divide. And people want to make it a politically correct issue. And it's not a politically correct anything. It's a kingdom issue. It's a kingdom issue. And we're going to deal with it as such, as a kingdom issue. Listen, we can't, we can't control the rest of the world and everybody else, but we can take care of business here at our house. Can I get, it? Can I get an amen? amen? Now, when you talk about politically correct, there's some things that you cannot say. There's some things you just should not say. And the reason is because you don't want people excluded. You don't want people's feelings hurt and so forth. And there are jokes out there to offend everybody. And sometimes we have jokes, you know, there's blonde jokes and then there's Polish jokes. And then if you came from Arkansas jokes and I mean, there's there's all kinds of jokes out there. But what if we reversed it? What if instead of blonde jokes, it was ball headed guy jokes? 
Let me just share a few with you and just make them kind of personal here. I'm just on my job, okay? I, I, and I'm going to change the name of a state or city here and just make it personal. But did you hear about the new $3 million Leesburg lottery? I grew up in Leesburg, so I have license. The new $3 million Leesburg lottery. The winner gets $3 a year for a million, for a million years. <laughs> Sign up for that. Or why do folks in, at least another state, let's go ahead and make it Florida. Why do folks from Florida go to the movie theater in groups of 18 or more? It's because the sign says 17 and under not admitted. And why should blondes, no, let's change it to bald guys. Why should bald guys not be given coffee breaks? Because it takes too long to retrain them. So there's jokes out there to offend everybody, but this is not about being politically correct. This is a, this is a kingdom issue. This has to do with some things that God speaks very, very clearly in his word. I wish this morning I could speak to the whole world. I wish I could. I wish, but I can't. I wish I could speak to every church, but I can't. But I can speak to you. I can speak to Meadowbrook Church. Anybody else who, through technology, because we embrace technology, uh, I can speak to them. And Paul said this. He, he told young Timothy, fulfill your ministry. So don't try to be what you're not. Don't try to go do what you're not supposed to do. Just do what you're supposed to do. And so in fulfilling my ministry, this we're going to talk about this today. The only, the only thing that Jesus left behind here was the church. But he's going to come back for it. And when he comes back for his church, it won't be dim and broken and separated. It will be glorious. It will be glorious. So for that to happen, a lot needs to happen. Come on, y'all with me? And... I want you to think about this for a moment. And I, I, this just really is strong in my heart. Jesus is healing his body. The body is you. It's believers individually all over the world. And it's us corporately together. And Jesus is healing his body. And I want to be a part of that. I said, I want to be a part of that. Now. Whenever we look at Jesus healing his body, one of the conditions that the body of Christ is being healed from has to do with prejudice and racial divide. And so I want that healing to really, really occur here like never before. And it's not just one or two colors or cultures. This is multi. This is all over the place. For hundreds of years, there there has been unthinkable oppression and things that have happened. Plus, currently and continuing, there are inequities within our own culture and society all over the place. And although I didn't cause any of those things, you know what? I'm sorry any of those things have happened. And I hate what has happened to people. I hate what has been done to people. And 
I care. And I want to help. And I believe that we can help each other. And God is wanting to help us today. And as much as I am aware of things and I do care, I also realize that I hardly understand a fraction of what has been done to other people. Um, About a year ago, I was talking with Pastor Bernard and we were discussing a few things. And and if you'll go with me here just for a moment, lay all politics, agenda, party affiliation, everything else aside. Would you do that for me? Lay everything else aside. And he told me, not in offensive ways, but he said that I myself, myself as a, as a white, but very hip. Um, I, I won't be offended. Uh, as a white man could never really fully understand what it really meant when President Obama was elected, that a man that a hundred or so years ago would have been owned by somebody now would be able to make his way and to become the leader of the free world. Lay lay all your politics aside. That's a wonderful, that's a remarkable thing. And I'm aware, I can't fully understand that. So I'm aware that I'm not... I couldn't relate to everything and you can't relate to everybody on your road. But you know what? We're in this thing together. So with all of that going on, here's the question. What do we do? What do we do? And here's our answer. And I'm going to put it back up on the screen again. Our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. Read it again with me. Our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. Because I got news for you, folks. None of us can change the past. None of us can change the past, but we can lean into the future and we can look forward and we can make some things to be a little bit different. In Mark chapter 10, and I'll just kind of quote from this, Jesus was talking with his disciples and he was talking about people who had power over other people and people who would sometimes abuse authority. And you know what he said to the believers? Any believers here today? He said, there are people who have power over people and there are people that have authority and they abuse it over people. And he said, but let it not be so among you. So in the body of Christ, it's a whole different thing. Come on. In the family of God, in the body of Christ, it's a whole different thing. What the world does, the world does. And what other people do, the other people do. But in the body of Christ and in the family of God, it should not be so among us. So again, our loyalty to the future greater than our loyalty to the past. According to our principles and our value system that we gain from Scripture, character is a very valuable thing. Character is a very valuable thing. If I might quote Dr. Martin Luther King in his famous speech, he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. He used the word judge, that they would not be judged for the color of their skin. It's the same word as prejudice, which comes from the Latin, which means to prejudge, to prejudge. Let me, let me give you a little bit of uh, more definition on this. It's to have a preconceived opinion formed without sufficient knowledge or just grounds. 
And I really like this part. An overgeneralized belief directed toward an individual, a group, or race. It's an overgeneralized thing. You're all this way, or you're this, or you're that, or you're whatever. And all of us have been subject to that in one way or another. And where there be prejudice in one direction, there be a reverse pre- prejudice in another direction. And even with their own, in an own, with their own people, group, or race, or whatever it would be, there's prejudice within of different things. Well, you're not as this or that or whatever it would be. And so it happens all over the place. And what we want to do is get this out of the system as Jesus heals his body. This is one of the things that has to go because in the final analysis, what we are is we're all part of his body. We're in this thing together and we do need each other. Amen. Now, his dream was that his children would not be judged or have prejudice because of the color of their skin. And so we talked about judging and prejudice, but let's talk about color just for a minute. I love color. And when I think of color, I think of my crayon box. How many of you remember your crayon box? Some of you never had crayons? I still love to color. And I loved it when you get a new box. And I like the big box, you know, and you open it. It's got the sharpener in the back, you know, I like that. And all, all the crayons and they're like in grandstand stadium seating. That's where I learned to preach. I'm teasing. No, I'm not real. Uh, But what if you open it and I can remember the smell even. It's wonderful. But if you, what if you open it up and and, and your teacher or your mom or somebody said, Timmy, Go color. I wonder if I open it up and it's just all white. I mean, what could I do with all white? I could color a blizzard. <laughs> and I love flowers. And that's, that's not a sissy thing. I love flowers. I, I like roses. My wife loves tulips. And if you have a red rose and a yellow rose, they're still both a a rose. A rose is a rose is a rose. And then a white one and a pink one and whatever it would be, they're just just roses. And it's a beautiful thing when you put them all together. And you put them all together, it becomes a bouquet. And when you put us all together, it's a bouquet. It's a beautiful thing. It's like a big old box of crayons. Yeah. And don't deny your color in the sense of heritage and pride of your, uh, of your ethnic background. There should be a healthy sense that you're happy about that. But you need to understand also regarding culture and heritage People, listen, people did not come to America for culture. They came to America for opportunity. And we celebrate culture there, but we can't allow culture to me to be the main thing. But yet it's something that cannot be separated from us. And you should enjoy it and you should celebrate it and you should be proud of who you are, whatever kind of mix you are. I'm some kind of mutt. You know, I'm not even sure what I used to lie and tell people I'm part Indian, too, you know, and just just added. But I'm a I'm a mutt. 
And whatever you are, if you're purebred, whatever you are, good for you. But I mean, we're we're a mix and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And there need, don't deny your color and don't deny your heritage. Max Lucado wrote this and I, I actually posted it this last week. You weren't an accident or an incident. You are a gift to the world, a divine work of art signed by God. And that's what you are. This past week, I had the absolute privilege to um, be Pastor Bernard's guest in New York City and took my son Joshua. And on Wednesday evening, um, he was hosting at Carnegie Hall. Do you know how to get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. Okay, <laughs> just so you know. Um, we went to an evening, and I'm talking about heritage now. It was called a Night of Inspiration. A night of inspiration. And what a night of inspiration. And it's an incredible all-star lineup. And Pastor Bernard said, not only do I want you to come, I want you to come early and be a part of a reception, a pre-reception. Enjoy great seats at the concert, Carnegie Hall. And then afterwards, I want you to come to this post-reception and hang out with all these people. So we were like in rare air. And let me just read you the lineup here. And this is the playbill from, from that night. It was hosted by Soledad O'Brien. And Pastor A.R. Bernard. Appearances by Pastor Shirley Caesar, Kurt Carr, Sheila E., Patty Griffin, Fred Hammond, Elder Bernice King, Michael McDonald, Felicia Rashad, Richard Smallwood, Bishop Hezekiah Walker, Pauletta Pearson Washington, B.B. and C.C. Winan, and Ray Chu. And, it, and by the end of that thing, and I want to tell you something, I don't know all their personal story, but by the time that whole thing was over, every one of them across that stage were glorifying God full bore. I mean, it was a, an incredible, incredible thing. Now, it was so moving, though, and I took a few pictures, if you don't mind. I want to, I want to show a couple pictures here. Go ahead and show the first one there. That's Felicia Rashad. That's Mrs. Huxtable. We ate finger food with Mrs. Huxtable. <laughs> and that's Joshua and I. And then here's Josh with Fred Hammond. And then go to the next one here. That's us with Michael McDonald, who opened the concert with, You don't know me, but I'm your brother. <laughs> and, and, and hold on. Uh, the reason, the significance of this picture is we were the only three white guys in the place. We were so loved and welcomed and we experienced culture that, that I haven't grown up in. And I'll tell you what, I was about dehydrated by the time the night was over with the excitement and the joy and the weeping and everything that went with it. A wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, for many things, color is not and should not be the issue. We've raised our children. We've structured our children that really when you're talking about a person, color is not an adjective. Color is not an adjective when we're talking about people. We're talking about just people. And you'll have a hard time looking forward, which is our theme, looking forward. You're going to have a hard time doing that unless you're colorblind. And that's going to hinder you from really heading and looking forward in the right direction unless you're colorblind to some degree. In Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. 
Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian, a Cushite. She was black woman. And then in verse 10, it says, And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned to Miriam and there she was, a leper. And here's the bottom line. Miriam didn't like Moses marrying a black woman. So God turned her really white. With leprosy. I don't think God takes kindly to us being prejudiced. And because Moses married the black woman, then Miriam felt freely that she could just run him down about every other thing. And I think it opens up a door to ugly every time that we get involved in this kind of thing. Jesus, one time we read about it in John chapter four. Y'all with me? Come on, we're working toward an incredible moment here coming up. So stay with me. Jesus in John chapter four, we read about he and the disciples had been on a long journey. You think of the terrain that they traveled and the weather that they were in. And as they got into uh, in Samaria to the city of Sychar and Jesus stopped by this well, it's the well of Jacob. And the disciples said, we're going to head on into town, get some new batteries for our Walkman, stop by the subway and, you know, Go get some stuff. And Jesus said, y'all, y'all go ahead and I'll stay here. And it's about noontime. Jesus is sitting, sitting by the well of Jacob and a Samaritan woman came up and he said, ma'am, would you please give me a drink? And she said, why are you even talking to me? And don't you know that Samaritans and Jews have no interaction? And Jesus said, all I wanted was a drink. And he said, and if you really knew who I was. You'd know that I could give you water that if you drank of this living water, you'd never thirst again. But as it is, ma'am, you're living in such a way right now where you're only going to get more thirsty. And then he talked to her even more and more about some things. And then finally, she said, you know, one day the Messiah is going to come and fix all this. And he said, ma'am, the guy you're talking to me, I'm the Messiah. Her jaw dropped. Hang on. Her jaw dropped. And she said, I got to go tell my friends. And she took off to go see them. About that time, the disciples are walking up. They thought it, Scripture said, but they didn't dare say it. They said, what in the world is he doing talking to her? And if we rewind that whole account, when Jesus said, ma'am, I'm thirsty. And the Scripture says he was weary and thirsty. He, he had a real need. And he said, ma'am, could I have a drink? And, and as you read that account, he didn't have anything to get water from the well. So go with me on this just for a moment. He actually was saying to her when he said, ma'am, I know you're Samaritan and I'm a Jew and we don't have any interactions. We're not even supposed to talk, let alone I'm a man and you're a woman and everything else. It's like everything that prejudice could be stacked around was stacked. But this was the statement that cut through the whole stack right here. And it's this. There's something about me that is limited without you. And then he's in essence, was saying, and there's something about you that's limited without me. I just need this water now, and I have some water that you really need. I'm going to go over this again. There's something about me. Come on, think about one another. There's something about me that's limited without you. And there's something about you that's limited without me. We need one another. All right. Now, let me move on here. It's not enough that we all attend church together. 
that we're multicultural in that sense and we all come together. I applaud that. I celebrate. I am thrilled every time that I get up here and I don't open up the box of crayons and they're just all white or just all pink or whatever it would be. I celebrate that. But you know what? More than us just attending together, Psalm 133 talks about that when we dwell together, when we dwell together in unity, it says this, that it's precious and it's powerful and it's refreshing. It's precious and it's powerful and it's refreshing when we dwell together. And if I could be so bold, could I say something to you this morning? I have a dream. And my, my dream is that part of it is that we would not just come to church together, but I look for the day when we actually leave church and go eat dinner together and make plans together and go somewhere together. Now, reconciliation is relational and it's got to be done face to face and it's got to be done with people getting to know people, people getting to know people because we're all on this thing together. Now, real quick, and I promise you just real quick, what do we do? What do we do? The first thing we need to do is to repent. Everybody say repent. I need y'all with me because where we're headed, you got to be with me here. We've got to repent. We've got to be reconciled to God and we've got to be reconciled to man. I saw after first service, I saw people literally just things break and melt in them because about what, what we're going to go to here in just a moment. And then I just had one guy, just one guy come through the door. And he's still crusty and just holding on to this prejudice kind of thing. And I told him, I said, you gotta let it go. You gotta let it go. And the key to that is you got to be reconciled to God so that you can be reconciled to man. And first John four twenty says this, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Prejudice and racial divide are counter to God's character, his love, his plan, his law. It's against what God is about. And what we've got to do is we have got to repent. Can I get an amen? Amen. Second of all, very important. We've got to forgive. Everybody say forgive. When you forgive, it's a gift to yourself. I want you to hear this principle. Don't lose this principle. What you fail to forgive, you will retain and repeat. What you fail to forgive, you will retain and repeat. If a child is raised by abusive parents, if he does not uh, forgive those abusive parents, he will become abusive. If a child is raised by alcoholic parents and he does not at some point forgive those alcoholic parents, he'll have some kind of issue with alcohol. If a person has been subject to prejudice, if they do not forgive, they will in turn become prejudice because hurt people hurt people. And we've all been hurt to one degree or another. And our families have been hurt to one degree or another. But the bottom line is we have got to let it go. And forgive. Thirdly, we need to look and love. And if I might add, we need to look with love. You need to embrace diversity. You need to love the people around you as created in the likeness and the image of God. 
and that God made them the way that God made them. And because God made them and you love God and God loves you, I love what God makes. And so we need to look on one another with love and see the valuable, beautiful bouquet. And let me encourage you, it is okay to reach out and love somebody that is not just like you. Fourthly, we need to start a movement. Start a movement. He said, how are we going to start a movement? Listen, listen to this. You would say, what can I do? We're not going to be able to do anything that makes any difference. Listen, yeah, we can. If a person's paralyzed or if a person is in a coma and suddenly they start to wiggle a toe or two, everybody gets excited and everybody gets encouraged that something's about to happen for the rest of the body. And if we are the little toe on the body of Christ, I am thrilled to be a part of the body of Christ. And Jesus is healing his body. And let that life and that health ebb in here. Let it flood in here into us. And we are going to start a movement, even if it's just moving right here. It's how Jesus treated that woman at the well. How one man treated a woman. They weren't even supposed to see each other. And how he treated her, she left and went and told her friends and brought her friends back and said, you know what? He's okay. He's okay. And when we'll treat one another in, in such a way, then that awesome thing will happen. Listen to me. Jesus is healing his body. Jesus is healing his body. And I want to be a part of it. And lastly, and let me use a word out of our culture today. You need to represent. Come on, you need to represent. And I'm speaking to all cultures and all generations. You need to step up and represent and serve and go and give and love and represent. Do not hold back because of your culture or your color. You need to be, if you're a part of this church, you need to step forward and be a part of the face of the body of Christ and be a part of the face of Meadowbrook Church. Because I'm going to tell you what, every time somebody comes here and new people are coming here all the time, when people, this is just human nature, when a person walks into a place, they're looking to find themselves because then they'll feel, they'll feel safe. And we've got to let them know that, it's, that, that they are here and they are safe here. And that we are, in fact, multicultural and we are multi-generational. And so all of us need to represent. Can I get an amen on that one? Now, if I could have musicians come and if I could have my slice of the city team, I got with about 12 of y'all before service. If I could have y'all, y'all just come and hopefully I did a good job here and trying to get a slice of the city, get my slice of the city team. Y'all just line up here, face them there. Now, Where's everybody? Hurry, 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 hurry. <laughs> huh? You're bald, brother. I am too, man. We're in this thing. Y'all slide down this way a little bit here. Slide down this way a little bit. Dewey, come join us here. Brother, come join us here. The body of Christ is the most beautiful thing it's ever been on this planet. And Jesus is healing his body. And we need one another. I said we need one another. The other night in this concert, a night of inspiration, Bishop Hezekiah Walker came and 
There's this full orchestra and this mass choir and backup singers. And they did this song. And I'll tell you what, the Spirit of God fell in Carnegie Hall. And I called Pastor John yesterday. I said, is there any way? And he'd never heard the song before. And he passed it on. And Tommy had never heard it before. But Tommy was here till late last night putting all this together. And we got these people here early this morning. Another slice of the city ensemble here to sing this. And we're going to have the words up on the screen. And, I, and this is what I want. And if you allow this to happen, God will do something in you during this song. Jesus is healing his body. And I want to be a part of that healing. We need one another. This song is called, I Need You to Survive. It really has two meanings. I need you so I can survive. And I need you to survive. 